This is Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. In this episode of Trailblazers, we're joined by a footballer whose career has taken her all over the world. Starting in Australia's W League, the Pacey winger spent four seasons in the US before a move to the FA Women's Super League in England. Two years ago, she suffered a back injury so bad she thought she might not walk again. However, she came back better than ever. Last weekend, she joined a small elite group of Australians who have appeared in an FA Cup final. Joining us on the line from England, today's trailblazer is Hayley Razzo. Joining us from her current home in Liverpool, welcome to you, Hayley. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, as for you, last weekend you became the first Matilda to start in an FA Cup final. It didn't ultimately end the way you'd hoped, but how was the experience of stepping onto the pitch at Wembley? Yeah, it was absolutely unbelievable. Pretty disappointing result in the end, but... I was so proud of our girls. We played so well and just the whole experience in general was just, you know, something that I got a taste for and and want to go back to. I can imagine. Uh, Two late goals to Manchester City in extra time ultimately gave them the win. How hard was that for you to watch after all the effort of that first 90 minutes? Yeah, it was really tough. Uh, We fought so hard and we battled so well and, you know, they, they scored an they scored that goal, but we got ourselves back into the game. And then to get to extra time, play 120 minutes, and just to end that way, it was it was just extremely disappointing. And uh, when you're standing on the pitch at Wembley, I, I guess you almost have to pinch yourself, don't you? It's it's one of those uh, those moments that you know for some people never come around in their lifetime, and you've achieved it so quickly after arriving there. Yeah, exactly. Um, for me it was just amazing I think when I got there and I was walking into the stadium and you know we had all the Everton signs up everywhere and we walked out onto the pitch it just just still gives me goosebumps it was it was just surreal and for me it was just a really proud moment and I'm so honoured that I had the opportunity to to play there and experience um that that final and how's your body recovered after the match yeah, fine, actually. I feel like I'm used to just playing now over here in England. We play a lot. Um, we play midweek games and then we play on the weekends as well. So it was tough physically, um, but no, I'm doing okay and I'm just looking forward to getting back out on the pitch and playing again, actually. Uh, just days before that FA Cup final kicked off, your home back in Australia was burgled. Uh, how did you find that out? Uh, so my mum called me and told me. She had initially said to me that she didn't want to tell me because I had the FA Cup final and she wanted me to stay focused on that. But um, once we realised that a lot of my stuff was actually taken and we needed to try and figure out, well, with me being overseas, what was gone, mum was like, I just had to let you know. So, yeah, that was a bit of a rough time back at home. But, um, you know, getting through that day by day. Uh, as you mentioned, you have a packed schedule, so you have to focus once more 
on football. Are you enjoying having so much football? It's quite different to what you were used to. Uh, yeah, but I'm absolutely loving it. Um, it's we, we play a lot, we train a lot, the, the training sessions are hard, we're in the gym. But for me, I feel like I'm the fittest I've ever been. Um, uh, you know, and I'm also enjoying myself off the field. So it's, yeah, it's packed out, but it, it's great and it's it's just a really enjoyable time for me over here at the moment. Well, it's a good job you're loving it because the road to Everton was a pretty long one. Uh, when did you start considering the English competition as the location for your next move? Uh, so Willie Kirk, our coach, got in contact with me um, last year and I just stayed in touch with him and I kind of started following the league, um, watching some of the games, uh, continually talking with him and it it was interesting to me and, you know, it was a place I thought I could see myself. Um, I know that a lot of people, like, spoke about going to Europe or playing in Europe, but for me, I was like, yeah, I think England would suit me. Um, you know, the style of football, um, the culture. So... Um, yeah, it was just at the end of last year, which um, took my interest to start with. And then the more I watched and the more I learnt and then going to the World Cup, um, I was like, yeah, it's definitely a place for me. Mm. And you also chatted to Australia's other famous Evertonian, Tim Cahill. What did he tell you? <laughs> yeah, he spoke so highly of the club. And for me, I hadn't actually come over to England before, but he told me about the facilities, the staff, um, the field, um, that everything was such quality at such a high quality and um once i've come over here i've basically seen that for myself and he was right it's it's incredible from the top from the staff to you know the facilities to 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 the bottom it's just for me um i'm just really enjoying it and i i like being in this professional environment Mm. an announcement of your signing though it was at the beginning of 2020 what on earth happened your debut was 233 (laughs) days later what went on um, firstly, I was supposed to come over and then we got called into a national team camp, so I didn't go. Secondly, I was supposed to fly over at 4am after our Olympic qualifying game. In that game, broke my nose, had to have <laughs> surgery, so stayed in Sydney. Um, third time lucky was like, here we go, like, you know, three things have happened, like, let's just get there. Um, I, I arrived in England set to go to training um then they're like COVID you know no one can come into the facility and I'm thinking no way like I've just landed here (laughs) and then within four days I was on a plane back home they were like England's probably going into lockdown we don't want you to get stuck here and I ended up back on the Gold Coast with my family oh that's hysterical so when you finally show up what did your teammates say they'd been (laughs) expecting you forever yeah they said to me oh we didn't even think you were real because I'd been like (laughs) in these group chats and on these like you know video calls but never had had my video on like no one had ever seen me I think they actually thought I wasn't real (laughs) but um no it was just great once I finally got into training for the first time um and then playing my first game which yeah was nine months later it was just like finally it's done I'm here (laughs) However, as we speak, the UK is returning to lockdown uh, due to an escalation of COVID cases. Can you describe for us what life is like there at the moment? Yeah, very different to Australia, actually. Um, the, I guess we're, we've gone back into lockdown. We've, we were in tier three restrictions before that. But um, 
I think there's just a lot of cases, so they're trying to protect everybody. But I think we're just very lucky that we have football because the world's around us is kind of in this lockdown and can't do anything. But we just continue living in this bubble world, you know, playing football, um, training, playing our games, traveling. So I think we're quite lucky in that sense. Absolutely. Well, Everton are going great guns in the Women's Super League and Hayley's career is in a real purple patch, but it's a career that started long before she joined the Toffees. After the break, we go back to where it all began. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We've got Hayley Razzo on the line from England. Hayley, where did it all start for you? Was it on the Gold Coast? Um, yeah, it was. I started playing just when I was eight, just because my brother did, just joined in with the boys and from there kind of made the rep teams, got scouted to play W League and then from there selected for the Matildas. So just kind of went through the ranks like that. You make it sound really easy. Uh, if, if I recall correctly, <laughs> uh, you're invited to train with the Queensland Academy of Sport. Did you hope to be signed by Brisbane Raw? Yeah, I did. Actually, I trained at the Queensland Academy of Sport for a long time. I remember my parents used to drive me up to Brisbane every day so I could train, but it was never selected and never able to break into that squad. So I was just playing locally at Palm Beach Soccer Club where a coach kind of scouted me and was like, you should go and trial for Canberra United. And I just went down there for three days and trialed and ended up getting signed. And that's what kind of kick-started my career in the W League, which then got me selected into the Matildas. But with Canberra, you actually beat Brisbane to take out the title that year. Come on, how satisfying was that? (laughs) Yeah, that year we went through the whole season undefeated. I was like, the W League's awesome. This is a dream. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was so young. I had players like, you know, Lydia Williams, Sally Shippard that I was looking up to and learning from. And yeah, we've gone through undefeated and then beat Brisbane in that final game. It was just amazing. And, and a couple of years, of course, you did later, you did return to Queensland and played for the Raw. Did that feel like coming home? <laughs> Why did you make that decision? Yeah, I, you know, I felt loyal to Canberra. They'd, you know, given me the opportunity to play. So I did want to stay there and I did really enjoy it. But the following So after my second year there, yeah, I think for me it was just about being at home, being around my family and playing for my home team. So that's why I came back to Brisbane. And then since then I've been around the traps a little bit. But no, it's always nice playing for your home team. That's an understatement. At the time, of course, the main destination for Australia's (laughs) female footballers was America. Uh, How did your move come about? Your first stop was Washington, right, with the Spirit? Yeah, it was. I, I can still remember getting this random text message from a coach saying like they were interested in me and they were from Washington Spirit and at the time I'm thinking what is Washington Spirit like I don't I was so I never knew what anything was like football overseas I was just so like in my own world and then I kind of looked into it a little bit more and after the 2015 World Cup that was when I actually went to America and signed and played with Washington Spirit. And what was different about that move Uh, what was the style of football like for you there? For me, I think it was just a lot more professional. It was like a step up from where I'd been. So I kind of felt like I was really testing myself and putting myself into an environment that would help me develop. I had, when I signed there, I had players like Ali Krieger, Ashlyn Harris, Crystal Dunn. You know, some of the best players in the world are playing over in that league. So for me, I just think it was it was kind of like a step up from where I'd been before. 
And is there a different mindset for the, with the US players? You've mentioned some some big names there and being the number one team in the world. Is there a difference in the way they approach their football? Yeah, I think so. I think they're just very professional. And for me, playing in the W League, it was it was still kind of developmental. You know, there are a lot of good Australian players in the league, but over in America, I just think that the quality was was a lot higher. You see those players take on the responsibility of the team off the field, making sure they're recovered, they're ready. It's just, yeah, for me, I just think it was just a, just a step up. And I learned a lot being there, and I think I developed a lot physically and technically, and it kind of just helped me like start my career overseas. Uh, the US, of course, operates a draft system. How tricky is that to <laughs> negotiate? I, I feel like from an outsider's point of view that you don't really control your own destiny. Is that how it feels? Yeah, I. It's to me right now. I played there for five years. It's still very confusing. <laughs> you know, so a team can own you. They can have your rights. They can waive you within a minute. They can trade you. It's it's all very confusing. But I mean, as you know, I was waived from Washington Spirit the following year. Uh, it's mm-hmm. the same kind of system. You know, people get drafted out into teams. You kind of, you kind of, yeah. You don't know. You, you don't know where you're going to end up, or you, you're never really safe. I, I guess I would say. But you've got to make sure you know you're performing all the time, and you're, you know, at the top of your game. Otherwise, you could potentially end up somewhere else. Mm. Well, you won three championships uh, with three different clubs, or have done so far in your career: Brisbane, Canberra, and of course Portland Thorns. 2017. That was a huge success. They have an amazing supporter base. What do the Thorns get so right when a lot of women's clubs? <laughs> around the world struggle for support. Yeah, the Portland Thorns was an incredible experience for me. When I first ended up there, I didn't actually know what it was like, but I've come out to, to the game and seen, you know, 23,000 fans cheering <laughs> uh, for the team. It's just incredible. The facilities, are, the facilities are great too. Just kind of the pinnacle of women's football over there. And it's a place that I think a lot of players you know, watch and see and think like that's something that they'd like to be a part of. Yeah, well, the fans absolutely loved you. You were named MVP by them <laughs> in 2017. Uh, how special was that to know how well literally adored you were? Yeah, I, still thinking about it is so amazing. I, I like to give my time back to the fans and, you know, like to like them to know how appreciated they are and the support they gave us was absolutely incredible. And I went over to Portland and wanted to prove myself and wanted to play well and to be recognised for doing so. It's just amazing. Uh, Well, I remember when you uh, received a one-game suspension, the whole (laughs) stadium showed their support by putting red bows in their their hair, in their beards or on their caps. Um, It follows on from the nickname you earned of of ribbons. When did you begin the, the tradition of wearing ribbons at the club you're playing for? I've done it ever since I was young, but... My nan, she buys me the ribbons and she matches them to my kits that I'm wearing. So, yeah, it's pretty special. She, you know, she really enjoys doing that and going out and getting those ribbons for me and then for me to wear them in the game and it's kind of become a trademark well, I can uh, tell you for as me a com- now. commentator, it makes you very easy to pick. <laughs> <laughs> so it really... Yeah, when I, was, <laughs> when I was young, I actually did it, like when I was trialling for teams and stuff because, you know, I think, oh, maybe that reminds me as the girl with the bow and it kind of stuck and... It just became something my nan did for me and, yeah, just she's very cute and I'm just happy that she can do that and it gives her joy. Oh, that's so beautiful. It also means that she can see you easily on the pitch as well, of course. Uh, Yeah, exactly. uh, Now, Hayley, injuries are a part of 
professional sport, you had a number of knee injuries, which appears to be quite a common occurrence for female footballers. Injured your left knee while on loan to Brisbane Raw, then in the Asian Cup injured the right knee with a lateral collateral ligament tear. How difficult is that to come back to full strength after that? Yeah, any injury I think is difficult to come back from, but it's just about making sure you do your rehab right. Uh, you do your recovery, you, you follow the, the guidance from the physios and I think it's important that we have such great physios in Australia and with our national team who look after us so well um, to get us back on the field. But mentally, physically, injuries are always tough, but I guess just part of the game. I'm guessing coming back from a knee injury didn't prepare you for August 2018. Uh, playing for Portland Thorns, you broke three vertebrae. That was a heck of a collision. Uh, a couple of years on, how much do you recall of the moment that it happened? Well, yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. But I don't think anything really could have prepared me for that and what I went through. It was, yeah, just the impact so bad broke three of my vertebrae. And from there, just a pretty grueling and intense recovery and rehab, both mentally and physically. When did you realise how serious it was? <laughs> Straight away. <laughs> I the The pain I felt was it's basically I, I can't even describe it but I knew that something really bad had happened it was the, the pain was unbelievable and uh, as I recall you were stretched off without any neck support and then left on the side of the field for a few minutes uh, what's your take looking back on how your injury was managed at the time do you think the protocol has improved no I don't think the protocols have improved and I think that that's something that still kind of gets under my skin about America and mm. I guess another reason that was in the back of my mind as to why I I couldn't continue playing over there, I just think that that's the way I was treated, the way I was handled, you know, has, has left an effect on me. And yeah, I just think it needs to be better because if anything like that, dare I say, happens to anybody else, I would hope that they're managed appropriately, spinal, collar, neck, board, you know, it's going through an injury like that or something so severe like that with the tiniest of movements, something, you know, worse could have happened. So, yeah, I think it's important that that league or America or whatever it may be, that they ensure that, you know, better protocols are in place to, to treat people in that situation. Mm. And your poor mum, she had to watch this going on from overseas. Um, she jumped straight mm -hmm. on a plane. Uh, was she with you pretty much every minute after that? Yeah, she was. So as soon as she had realised what happened and she knew at the time how bad it was, I think she knows me pretty well. Mm. She got on a plane and, and headed straight over and a few days later she arrived in America and she slept by my side on a couch for those weeks that I was in hospital and in rehabilitation hospital and she basically just did everything for me, so I truly don't think I would have gotten through it without her. I imagine the physical side of rehabilitation was uh, not just excruciating, but really tough. Uh, how do you compare it to the mental part of that? Uh, I think with the injury so bad like that, they were both really bad. The physical side of it was tough because I actually couldn't do anything. I couldn't even, I almost couldn't even lay in bed. I couldn't roll myself over. I couldn't get up. I couldn't go to the bathroom I couldn't sit in the chair mm. I actually couldn't do anything like I was getting the the nurses my mum they were actually doing everything for me but then the mental side of it like losing all your independence and having literally somebody like take you to the bathroom or roll you over in bed because you're uncomfortable and for somebody like me who's so active and you know I'm an athlete to just be lying there needing somebody to do everything for me it's just one of those things that's tough to get your head around. Yeah, I can only imagine. And what makes it more 
even more astounding was how quickly you were back on a football pitch. When you go back on the pitch, how frightening is that? I mean, you scored a goal on your return in the Cup of Nations for Australia, so you didn't look too terrified, but what's going through your head? <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly, it still makes me so happy thinking about that game because, like you said, I, I did camp, come back within six months, which to people, you know, listening and hearing that I've broken through vertebrae and then coming back and playing six months later, it's pretty incredible. But, um I think it's just in the way that I play, um, just to give it my all. And to be completely honest, I was scared. Mm. I was so nervous. I was like, oh, I don't really want to get in a tackle. I don't really want anyone to, like, touch me. Um, but I think once I got out there and the adrenaline was in me and I scored that goal, it was just like, uh, this is, you know, why I've gone through everything I have to get back here. Well, Hayley Razzo came back to be better than ever. Next up, we look at her return to wearing the green and gold. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. That audio, Haley, is from the first game after your back injury. The fans knew you'd be watching. They wanted to let you know they were thinking of you. How did that feel? So amazing. I think, I, you know, I got on FaceTime to them. Um, I can remember laying in the hospital bed and they just won the game and thinking, why is my, my FaceTime ringing from, you know, one of the staff from Portland? <laughs> I've just won the game. And then I've answered the phone and honestly, the whole crowd is there on FaceTime with me chanting my name and oh it just makes my heart so happy thinking that they supported me you know when I was going through one of the toughest times of my life and making me feel a part of that win. Oh, that just brings tears to my eyes it's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, we, we, it was. <laughs> we mentioned your unbelievable recovery now it really doesn't seem to have you backing out of a challenge uh, you also touched on your broken nose in the Olympic qualifiers in in early 2020. Uh, what happened there and why did you need surgery? <laughs> yes yeah, so playing against China I believe I just got an elbow to the nose um yeah, and it's <laughs> broken my nose and I've actually never even had a blood nose before. So I put my hand up to my nose and I thought, oh my gosh, no way, like it's my first blood nose. <laughs> but then when I felt my nose, it felt crooked. I was like, oh, please, no, not my face. <laughs> um, I've, come, I've come off at half time and they've said, yeah, like it looks broken and they're trying to snap it back into place but couldn't. So um, the following day I had an x-ray Um and discovered that there were a few little breaks in there and that I would need surgery to straighten it up. So, um, yeah, ended up staying back in Australia instead of going to the UK to, to, to sort that out. <laughs> you really don't do things by halves. Uh, now, that was an Olympic qualifier. I know, I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you do it spectacularly. Uh, un unfortunately, following on from that, there wasn't a trip to the Olympics because, of course, they were delayed due to COVID. However, you've already played all over the world, including places like Cyprus, Jordan, Vietnam. Uh, what's your favourite place of everywhere you've been? What, what's the one that sticks out as the best? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I really liked Vancouver when we went there for the 2015 World Cup. That's a beautiful city. Um, um, for me, like playing in the World Cups football-wise were incredible. Um, but, yeah, off the field, Vancouver was amazing. And we went to Austria once. I can remember getting off the bus there and just thinking, oh, this place is 
so lovely. So, yeah, I feel like I've been all over the world. I don't know what my favourite is, though. Yeah, well, when you read your uh, footballing CV, you've you've been a lot of places. <laughs> what do, do you recall any any being more challenging than others? You would have experienced all different sorts of conditions, but I imagine that playing in somewhere like Jordan is different to Canada, is different to you know somewhere in Europe. Yeah, I think um, you know playing uh, in Canada at the World Cup was amazing. You know the facilities, the country, everything was everything was great over there. But then going to you know. Um, countries like Vietnam, um, Jordan, it's completely different. You know, the the fields aren't like they are in Australia or like they are overseas um, in places like America or Canada. Um, so it's just kind of about ad- adapting, you know, adapting to different cultures, to to new cities, to, to stadiums, to fields. It's, um, I feel like everywhere we go is very different, but you've just got to be able to adapt to whatever the circumstances throw at you. Well, you've been in the national team set up for quite some time now. Do you remember when you were first called up into the Matildas camp? I do. Under Tom Samani, 2012. Um, I felt like I was so young and it was just my first season playing for Cambria. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it was just my first season playing for Cambria United and I've been called into the national team and it was actually a really scary experience for me going into a setup like that, um, you know, not really knowing anybody. Um, but once I got a taste to, you know, playing for the national team and seeing the um, those elite players and having players like that to look up to, it was just something that I definitely wanted to be a part of. Well, you were a part of that 2015 World Cup squad, as you said, in Canada. Uh how tough it is if you don't see game time in a squad like that. You know you've made the top echelon of players in your country, which is a phenomenal achievement in itself. But then I guess all you want to do is actually get on the pitch. Yeah, I think that was the hardest part for me. Um, like you said, you've made a squad like that. You're at the pinnacle of football. You're at a World Cup. People dream of being there. All you want to do is see the field. Um, and for me, not to was pretty disappointing. That's why... From that moment, which was, you know, so so many years ago, I had in the back of my mind, I'm going to the next World Cup and I'm going to play. Um, so when I was in hospital going through my injury, I was like, I'm going to be back. I'm going to go to the World Cup. I'm going to play minutes. I'm going to see the field. And, you know, I did that. Yeah, you sure did. By 2019, you're actually an integral part of the team for the World Cup in, in France. That was a crazy time for women's football in Australia, wasn't it? Coach Alan Stagic was removed from his position just months before. There was a media circus in full swing. Uh, what was it like being inside the inner sanctum uh, at the, in that time? Yeah, it was interesting to say the least. <laughs> um, but I think <laughs> I think as players, that's something that we can't control. Um so for us, we kind of just have to leave it to the outside people to sort out and we just keep focusing on what we're good at and that's playing football. Um, and we knew we had a World Cup to prepare for and, you know, we had the Olympics as well to, to get ready for. Now they've been postponed. But we kind of just, you know, let the background noise settle and then got on with the job once we could do so with a new coach. And once we did get, you know, Ante came in, everything was, was wonderful. Um and, you know, the girls are really happy, but it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things that you can't really control. Well, in France, of course, it was a completely different experience for you to what you had in, in Canada, you know, one of the first names on, on the team sheet. Uh, how did you find that experience compared to four years earlier? Yeah, it was completely different. Um, 
for me, like feeling very much so a part of the team, um, stepping out in that first World Cup game onto the field as a starter. Uh, it's just something you, you can't explain. I, I dreamt of being there, you know, from the four years earlier when I didn't play to being in the hospital bed. It was just like, this is a dream come true for me. Yeah, 100%. And now, of course, all the starting Matildas are playing their club football in Europe. Uh, it's a different picture to a, a couple of years ago when many were going to the States. What do you think that will do for the team uh, that, that you're all playing in that different environment? Yeah, I think everybody's, you know, at the top of their game right now, playing in Europe, getting minutes. Um, like I've said to you here in England, you know, we're playing so much. It's not just one game every weekend. We're actually playing consistently. And I think all of the girls around Europe are doing the same. So once we get back in with our national team, you know, we'll be at, at the top of our game. We'll be technically good. We'll be physically fit. Um, so for me, I'm just looking forward to actually getting back in with the national team and, you know, seeing the level that everybody is at and actually starting to work together to prepare for, you know, the tournaments we have coming up. Mm, well, we have a new coach after uh, Tony Gustafsson was announced uh, that he'd be taking over the reins. And now he doesn't officially start till January of 2021. Have the team had any contact with him? Uh, we had a Zoom call where we all jumped on and he came on and introduced himself when he was announced as coach and, you know, he's got a great track record and he seems like a really good fit for, for the Matildas and it's so great that he's signed on for a number of years and going to take us to a bunch of tournaments. So um, we haven't actually met him. I think maybe one or two did when he came to London, but... Um, it's an exciting time for us and I think we're all just really looking forward to getting back together. I've spoken to a bunch of the girls and we're like, oh, can we please just have camp? Like, we all just <laughs> want to get back together and train and play again. But um, COVID, I guess, oh, COVID <laughs> um, changed everything for us. Isn't it? <laughs> that camp in November was, was cancelled, of course. When was the last time you saw everyone? Oh, my goodness. March, I think. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. How yeah. far can this Matildas team go in, in 2023? There's just this feeling of opportunity around this side. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think going to the World Cup and, um, you know, getting knocked out the way we did um, kind of drove us more. We we want to succeed. We want to win trophies. We want to get medals. Uh, it's, it's, it's a part of being an athlete. You want to be at the top. And I think we've got a squad that's that's so great at the moment and we just want to play and we want to compete and we want to, you know, win big tournaments. So the the group we've got at the moment, I think, is, is a great one to be able to do so. Well, 2023 is a couple of years away for now. However, next up we chat with Hayley Razzo about who inspires her and got her to where she is now. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. chatting with Hayley Razzo all the way from Liverpool, England. Hayley, you've become a role model and idol for, for young players. Who inspires you? Who who do you look up to? Uh, um, I honestly would just say my mum. She's she's just so mentally strong. You know, she's she's been through a lot. Um, she never complains. She just gets on with things. Um she definitely helped me, has helped me a lot through injuries, um, through mental challenges, and she makes sure that I'm always, you know, focused, tough, ready to go. And I just think she, she inspires me to be better and, 
perform the way I do. Well, you mentioned earlier that uh, there was a lot of driving around between the Gold Coast and Brisbane to get you to training. <laughs> You've got two brothers as well, is that correct? I do, two yeah. older brothers, How yeah. How did you juggle all of that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I just think it was just something she always did. You know, she she would take me to training. She'd look after my oldest brother, who is, is intellectually disabled. Um, she's just very strong. She never complains gets on with it she wants us to be our best and to be happy so you know football made me happy so she she took me the places I needed to go and at the same time was, was a great mum to my to my brothers well hopefully it's not too long till she can get to the uh, the UK and see you you play over there uh, of course a lot of your guidance through your football career came from the many different coaches that you had uh, is is any of those names that have, have been in charge of your teams over the years one that you feel made an, a real difference to your game? Yeah, um, Mark Parsons. He initially was the coach that brought me over to Washington Spirit and gave me that first chance in uh, America. But when I was waived from Spirit the following year, once he left, um, he then basically gave me a second chance and brought me to Portland where I feel like I excelled under him. He um, believed in me so much. He taught me so much. Um, he gave me the opportunity to continue my footballing career when I thought, you know, it was over after being waived. Um, and, yeah, he basically just coached me for five years and really got the best out of me. And I, I'm I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to be coached by somebody like him. And how about outside of, of football? You were chasing a, a career as a paramedic. Where's that at? Yeah, um, at the moment I've deferred. So for the last couple of months, just because um, being overseas and the point I'm at in my degree is very practical and hands-on. And for me, being in England, it's quite difficult. Um, so when I can, I, I do subjects that I'm able to complete um, each trimester. Um, but I'm just basically studying part time, um, so slowly, slowly getting through that. But I know that that is something that doesn't matter when I when I get it done. I know that it's there for me to fall back on, um, mm. and it will be my career post football. Well, now I know you've spent a fair bit of time in and around hospitals. It sounds like with your various injuries. But uh, what was it about paramedic uh, training that appealed to you? I actually have wanted to be a paramedic ever since I was young and nothing's really changed my mind on that. Um, I think just the aspect of helping people and being there for for somebody when they're vulnerable, um, it's just something that appeals to me and I do have that side of me that just wants to help people and you know, m make sure people are okay. And besides studying and, and training and actually playing, what do you do to relax? Um... <laughs> Go for coffee. Do you relax? I feel like well, <laughs> I do. I do relax. Um, I'm very chill. I feel like you know I'm easy to just spend time by myself. But when I'm at home, I really just spend all of my time with my family and my my siblings and my step siblings. Um, and you know, like going to the beach or, or having a coffee or just hanging out with friends. It's just for me very, very. I'm very relaxed. Well, you've got so much going on uh, on the park. Uh, what is? Could could you sum up what's going so right at Everton for you? Just two points shy of Arsenal on the table. It's really clicked, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it has. I think there's just so much belief uh, in our team and, the, you know, we've, we've come out and we've started the season really well and it's kind of just been from there we've wanted to keep striving and keep wanting more. Um, to get ourselves to the FA Cup final, I, I think, shows the character of our team. Um, we're kind of seen as a little bit of the underdogs as well, which is a title I quite like um, because we're coming out and proving people wrong and starting to make people talk about us as a club. Um but yeah, the girls have a lot of belief and we just have a lot of quality all over the pitch and I think we all have a common goal that we, we want to do well and achieve things this season. So that's what we're aiming to do. Well, being a fellow Queenslander, I think that's where you like, your love of the underdog tag comes from. We do like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we do. You mentioned the uh, FA Cup final. That Manchester City side that you played on the weekend was stacked with big-name players. We know they operate on a much larger budget. Is that financial divide something that the clubs really feel? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, you know, I don't. That's not really something that's talked about or, or even known. Um, and I think that the players we have at, at Everton uh, are incredible. We've signed, you know, um, lots of overseas international players and we go into games with, with just as much belief and, and strength as, you know, any other team we're facing. And, and for us, um, that character and that heart we have in our team um, and kind of the culture and group off the field, I think, is what helps us succeed on the field. But those kinds of things aren't really talked about among us as, as a team or as players. How about your rivalry with, with other teams? I mentioned Arsenal just above you on the table. Of course, there's three Australian uh, teammates uh, at the Gunners. Do you have a good rivalry with them? Uh, yeah, I feel like any game any game I play is a bit of a rivalry, especially when there's Australians on, on the other team. Um, but, yeah, the, every game you play here in this league is so competitive and so tough, so... I think, um, you know, it makes for a challenging league and an intense game every week. Uh, I haven't actually played Arsenal yet, so I'm really looking forward to the chance when we get to do that, especially considering we're both sitting top of the table and there's a few Aussies there, so, you know, bragging rights are on the line. <laughs> do you feel like Everton can uh, take the title? Yeah, I do. I feel like, um, you know, we, from the beginning, you know, uh, as a team, you, you play to win and you, you play to be at the top and you play to compete in, you know, finals, FA Cup finals, um, Champions League. So it, it's a common goal of our team to, to want to win and to want to be at the top. And it's just about, you know, developing and getting better each day to, to do so. Uh, the W League back in Australia is going to look very different uh, this year without uh, you and your national team teammates uh, participating in it. But, but for the players that are over here, can you describe what the training and playing environment is like over there for you in, in a league that uh, it conducts itself in a much more full-time professional manner? Yeah, um, I think the league over here, like I was just saying before, is, is really competitive. Um, you know, that the standard of every game you're going to play in is so high and so tough. Um, but training each day is also at such a high quality. You come in, you're in an incredible environment um, with world-class facilities. You know, for, for me at Everton, we're in the same facilities as the men using the same gym, um, the same fields. So I think that speaks for itself. Um, but then the level of training in the internationals and the the quality of players we have is so high. Um, we're getting great sessions in every day as well as um, 
those gym sessions and double days. Um, so I just think that, you know, the standard is so high um, each day at training and then you're going into games and the, the level is really high as well. So um, for me, I want to see the W League get there and I want to see the players, the younger players in Australia, you know, be able to develop in in a team that's, that's performing well and, and has the right facilities. But I think um, there's just a little way to go before the W League gets to the same level as potentially teams over here in England or wherever else may be in the world. Uh, with that improved uh, environment and, uh, you know, the, the more professional level and the longer season, does that also come with more pressure to perform? Yeah, I guess a little bit. Um, I try not to really feel pressure to perform. Um, but at the same time, you want to win, you want to compete, you want to be playing well all the time, especially considering it's a long season. Um, but, yeah, it, for some, for some, maybe I try and take the pressure off me and just enjoy the game because I think when I'm enjoying the game and I'm happy off the field, I'm, uh, I play well on the field. Now, I presume uh, that your goals this year include uh, lifting the Women's uh, Super League trophy. Uh, what, what else have you got uh, on the agenda? Obviously, it's been very COVID-affected, but the season runs uh, for quite some time into next year. Uh, what are your plans? What, what would you like to achieve? Yeah, I think for me, I just want to perform um, over here in England consistently, um, continue, you know, playing well, starting games, scoring goals, getting assists. I think as a striker, it's it's important for me to do that. Um, and then on the cards, just to make that Olympic squad um, and go to the Olympics. I unfortunately missed out on the last one. So that's always been something in the back of my mind that um, that I want to do. And like with the World Cup, want to put my mind to it. You know, I, I set out to achieve it. So, yeah, going to the Olympics uh, is is a definite goal of mine. Well, in the meantime, you got an unexpected day off in your schedule last week. The Conti Cup match against Manchester United unexpectedly cancelled due to safety issues uh, around the ground. Uh, how does the team deal with that when they're all switched on and, and geared up for playing and then all of a sudden they pull the pin? Yeah, I guess it's just one of those things you have to adapt to. But we found out... Um, you know, the night before the game and we were all ready to go. You know, we played a couple of days before in that FA Cup final and lost. So we were kind of driven. We were like, yeah, let's go out there and show them, you know, that we're going to win. Uh, and the game was called off, but um, actually we ended up back in at training the following morning. So <laughs> the game was called off and we had a big day of training in gym. Um, so it was just like another day. Um and we just kind of moved our focus from playing in that Conti Cup game to now preparing for Chelsea because we're back back to London on the weekend to, to play against Chelsea, which is going to be a tough game for us. Busy times, Hayley Razzo. Uh, before we let you go, <laughs> you sound happy. Is that where you feel your life is at in real balance? Yeah, definitely. I think coming over to England was um, basically putting myself out of my comfort zone, um, being so far away from home and, and the homebody I am. Um, but knowing that I'm here um, playing at such an amazing club where we're doing well, we're performing well on the field um, and I'm really happy off the field. You know, we've got a great group of girls. Um, I'm enjoying the city and uh, even though, you know, the country's gone into lockdown and um, people looking in from the outside are probably thinking, oh, that must be tough. But uh, yeah, I think I've just, I just stay positive, uh, remain happy and um, definitely enjoying myself, that's for sure.
Kicking goals, Hayley. Uh, we can hear the smile <laughs> in your voice and look forward to seeing you back on the pitch. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Hayley Razzo, this week's Trailblazer. Thank you so much.